What's going on, Football MD fam? Thanks for tuning in to episode 46 of the Football MD podcast. My name is Michael Bowling, joined as always by my co-host Daniel Ronan, and today we bring you part two of our Under the Microscope series where we will be focusing on the running back position. Again, the point of this series is not to rank players for 2019, but to give a realistic look at how they actually performed for fantasy in 2018 without simply looking at their end-of-season stats. And before we jump into our main segment of the day, if you missed last week's episode, Mike dove into the quarterback position and gave you his under the microscope. I wasn't there for the recording of that episode, and because of that, I listened to it multiple times this week. There was a lot of solid content that got me thinking fantasy in the offseason, got me real excited. And also, as always, we have a ton of content in our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at FootballMDPod being dropped every single day. So go follow us there to stay up to date with all things football. And with no further delay, let's allow Mike to kick things off as is this is his area of expertise. And we're going to start off with the number one quarterback from 2018, and that was Todd Gurley. He was incredible once again, finishing as the running back one for the second straight year, despite only playing 14 games. Now, of course, the two games that he missed did come during the fantasy championships in week 16 and 17, but he most likely carried you to that point, so you really can't complain. But, of course, not having that guy who got you there to finish the job, that always hurts. But what's really impressive to me, though, is how Gurley managed to put up 22 or more fantasy points, which was, on average, a top-five performance at the position in 2018. He did that in 11 of his 14 games played. That's 79% of the time. No one else in the top 24 finished with more than 47% of their games in the top five. So not only was Todd Gurley the number one running back on the season, he was performing out of this world for you every single week, and you were beyond ecstatic. But of course, if you had him on your team, you know that we can move on. Up next is Saquon Barkley, and leading all running backs with over 2,000 all-purpose yards will certainly lead to a solid fantasy finish. And Barkley really did it all. Over 1,300 yards on the ground and 91 receptions is absolutely absurd for an NFL rookie running back. Not to mention the Giants, who that's a franchise rookie record. The Giants were able to lean on him all season long, and it's even more impressive when you consider how he overcame a bad offensive line and really just a bad offensive team around him in general. Now, he did average 9.5 less points per game against top five rushing defenses. Those games were still good for 16 points per game or more, so you weren't really upset with that. I mean, yes, he declined against top tier defenses, but like we said, he didn't have a lot of help around him, and he was still productive. He wasn't bad. He was just not as good as he was in the other games, and that shows me that there's room for improvement and things to build on even after a crazy good rookie season. And next up, coming in at number three, we have Carolina Panthers running back Christian McCaffrey, and he was the most consistent running back for fantasy on the season. He scored double-digit fantasy points in all 16 of his games played, and 22 or more fantasy points, like I said earlier, that's a top-five performance, in seven of his games. So he ended the season with 107 receptions, which was the most in NFL history by a running back, and really silenced anyone that doubted his ability to be a true workhorse. That was the main knock against McCaffrey coming into this season, but he only missed 30 snaps on the season. That really is absurd, especially for a running back that is a little bit undersized. But if you look back on North Turner's offenses, he historically sticks to one lead back. I know people were doubting that he was going to do it, but this season was no different. So these coaching trends, I think we should probably end up doing an episode on that as well. But they're definitely something to pay attention to because coaches kind of lay out what their game plan is going to be for the season if you look at their uh, past strategies. so It's what's more consistent in the NFL. Production goes up and down year in and year out. 
it's circumstantial. Even as good as players are, even the best players in the league sometimes have bad seasons, off seasons, maybe an injury season. What's most consistent, like you said, are these coaching trends, these schemes and strategies that the coaches implore week in and week out. But we'll move right on to Alvin Kamara. He had just one game where he scored single-digit fantasy points, but outside of that, he was a, he was as solid as could be with double-digit fantasy points in every other outing. Just like McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara had seven games with over 22 fantasy points where he basically won you your week. Now, it is worth mentioning that three of those huge games came during the first four weeks of the season while Mark Ingram was suspended. During that time, Kamara averaged 28.7 fantasy points, good for the RB1 in that span. He was still solid when Ingram returned, though. After week four, he was the RB5 through the remainder of the season, averaging 17.6 fantasy points per game, still lights out which is great. Just a bit of a decline from the dominance that he started the season with. It'll be interesting to see if Ingram returns in free agency. I think he would like to stay in New Orleans, but he is an aging running back and could be looking to cash out on a big contract. But with or without Ingram, I think we can all say that Alvin Kamara is a stud. And now next up, coming in at number five, we have Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott. And Zeke led the NFL with 304 rushing attempts, which is the lowest total to lead the NFL since 1990, which really shows you how much the ball gets spread around in today's NFL and the advantage that you get from having a true workhorse like Ezekiel Elliott on your fantasy roster. But he also led the league in rushing yards. The only thing that went down for Elliott this year was his rushing touchdowns. He had 15 rushing touchdowns as a rookie, seven rushing touchdowns in just 10 games last season, but he only had six rushing touchdowns in 15 games this past year. So I do expect those numbers to normalize, but what really changed for Zeke in a positive way in 2018 was his involvement in the passing game. He had 77 receptions this year after totaling just 58 receptions over his first two seasons. And we saw a huge shift in his reception totals after his week eight bye when Amari Cooper joined the team. From weeks one to seven, Elliott was on pace for just over 50 receptions, which compared to his career averages is still great. However, from weeks 9 to 16, he was on pace for 104 receptions. If those reception totals continue and then the rushing touchdowns come back to the norm, you could easily make a case for Ezekiel Elliott as the overall RB1 in 2019. And moving right on to outside the top five, number six, James Conner. He absolutely ran away with his opportunity in 2018 and one of and was one of the biggest, if not the biggest, deal in fantasy drafts, finishing as the RB6 after being drafted as the RB55. He had three games with over 180 yards, which are weak-winning type of performances, and I don't want to downplay what he did this year. I think he's an excellent, well-rounded player, and the Steelers spend a third-round pick on him for a reason. But this Steelers offense has just set running backs up for success with a strong offensive line, a veteran like Big Ben, and weapons in the passing game like Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. So whether it's Le'Veon Bell or now James Conner, they're set up for success. And until we see otherwise, expect the Steelers starting running back, for the time being James Conner, to be a top-tier fantasy option. Now, coming in at number seven, we have Chargers running back Melvin Gordon, and he was the third most consistent running back for fantasy in 2018. He finished with five top five weeks and zero single-digit performances. Now, the issue is that he only played 12 games, so durability is going to be a concern for Gordon, but when he is on the field, he's one of the top three running backs for fantasy. He was the RB2 from weeks one to six before the surprise inactive London game where his knee issues first started affecting him, and 
over the last three seasons, only Todd Gurley has more total touchdowns than Melvin Gordon. So it'll be interesting to see how he's valued coming into 2019 with his injury history, but there's no doubt that when Gordon is on the field, he's a true difference maker for your lineup. You're absolutely right. And this next guy isn't typically thought of as a top tier fantasy running back, but this year, but this past season in 2018, he gave you that production and that is James White. He definitely, we definitely didn't expect James White to have the type of season he did, but he was solid for the majority of the season. He did have three games that really crushed your team. Two of them coming in the fantasy playoffs. He had five points in week 10, three points in week 14, and six points in week 15. He was the only player in the top 10 to have more than one game where he was finishing outside of the top 50 at the position. But that's going to happen when you only get 94 carries on the season. Very low for a running back. It is worth noting that I think a lot of his production can be attributed to Sony Michelle missing time with injury, Julian Edelman being suspended for four games, and Rex Burkhead being on IR. During the first 11 weeks when those three guys were missing time, White averaged 79 total yards per game and scored 10 total touchdowns in that span. However, over White's last five games with those guys back on the field, he averaged 61 total yards per game and scored just two touchdowns in that span, coming in as the RB19 over the last stretch of the season. I still think he'll be a potential value in drafts next season with his receiving ability keeping him in high-end flex consideration, but I would be surprised if we see him back in the top 10 next year. Now coming in at number nine, a player that I was very excited for going into 2018, Cincinnati Bengals running back Joe Mixon. And his situation kind of reminded me of what Saquon Barkley faced in 2018. I'm not comparing their talent, but just being on a bad team, bad offensive line, bad defense, you name it, combine that with no Andy Dalton or AJ Green for the majority of the season. And Mixon really had a lot working against him, but we saw the Bengals commit to him with 237 carries, 55 targets. And he did the most with his opportunity, averaging the third most rushing yards per game on the season. I loved him coming into this year, and hopefully we see the Bengals offense improve in 2019. I think Mixon's best days should still be ahead of him. On to number 10, David Johnson. Where to start with David Johnson? He only had one game where he really crushed your team finishing outside of the top 50, but he also just had one game where he finished inside the top five. So he was somewhere between good and mediocre for the majority of the season, which is why he was so disappointing for the fantasy owners this season. You likely drafted him as a top five guy, and he just didn't return the value. Obviously, this was due to the Cardinals' struggles overall as a team, and that certainly hampered his production. But David Johnson was just misused, primarily in in the passing game. His average depth of target was just .8 yards in 2018. To put that into perspective, his... His average depth of target in 2016, when he finished as the RB1, was 4.7 yards downfield. I mean, 0.8 yards is less than guys like Alex Collins and Sony Michelle. Clear, workhorse running backs who don't really catch the football. Now, on the bright side, Mike McCoy is gone. And I know some people have their doubts about new head coach Cliff Kingsbury. But here's a look at the production he's gotten from his college running back since 2014. 372 targets. That's sixth most in the NCAA, 293 receptions. That's also sixth most in the NCAA, and 2,551 receiving yards, good for fifth most in the NCAA. So say what you want about the hire for NFL purposes, but for fantasy, I certainly think this will be an upgrade for David Johnson. Kingsbury seems to be able to get his running backs involved in the passing game, 
and that is very advantageous to David Johnson's game. Could definitely be seeing a big bounce back from DJ in 2019. I hope so. I just like him as a player. But now moving on to number 811, we have Kareem Hunt. And of course, Hunt's season was cut short after week 11 due to off-field issues. Regardless of the morality of that situation, playing just 11 games and finishing as the RB11 is pretty impressive. He was actually the running back four up until that point, so there's no doubt he was an elite and consistent option. And while I do think he's a very talented running back, Kansas City's offense was just a very lucrative situation to be a part of in 2018. Spencer Ware stepped in for Hunt between weeks 13 and 14 and finishes the RB 13 during that span. Then Damian Williams took over during weeks 15 and 16 and was the RB 1 during that span. So not to take anything away from Hunt, I do think he is extremely talented over the course of a full season. I don't think we would see that type of production from Spencer Ware or Damian Williams, but you put a running back like Kareem Hunt on Kansas City's offense and you have to expect great things to happen and that's what we saw in 2018. And coming in at number 12, a real breakout player, somebody that I was more than happy to have on my fantasy team this year, Philip Lindsay. Lindsay exploded onto the scene and had a season to remember as an undrafted rookie. Over, over 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns on the ground, another 241 yards and another touchdown in the passing game. And Denver's offensive line really doesn't get enough credit when it comes to the run game. They were graded 29th by PFF in the NFL in terms of pass blocking, but 7th in the NFL in run blocking. So while Case Keenum was getting lit up, the O-line was creating some solid opportunities for Lindsey on the ground. And let's not forget, in 2017, they helped C.J. Anderson reach 1,000 yards on the ground as well. So this isn't a bad situation to be in for a running back. But things did trail off during the fantasy playoffs where Lindsey was the RB28 from weeks 14 to 16. I'm not sure if he started to wear down. He's not built like a prototypical running back, but it was hard to find holes in Lindsey's game in 2018. Now, coming in at number 13, we have Tariq Cohen. And finishing as the RB13, he ranked 20th in consistency at the position, which he only got 99 carries on the season. So same, so same thing with James White. When you're so reliant on the passing game, there's bound to be some weeks where, as a running back, you just aren't going to come through for fantasy. And that was reflected in his five games with under seven fantasy points in half PPR leagues. But he averaged 16 points per game from weeks four to 13 and was solid for the majority of the season. This was surprising to a lot of fantasy owners that expected Jordan Howard to be in this position, but head coach Matt Nagy wants a dynamic running back with pass-catching ability, and that's just not what Howard is, but Cohen fits that mold perfectly, and that's why he got the opportunity he did in 2018. So overall, I do think that Cohen had a solid season, but for fantasy, he didn't provide the type of consistency that I personally look for in an RB2 for my team. Now, he was drafted to be a flex play at best, so you did luck out, but there were just periods throughout the season where he completely disappeared, mainly in the fantasy playoffs where he was the RB30 from weeks 14 to 16, and that's just the risk you run when you're relying on a player that isn't so well-rounded. And now I'll roll right into number 14. This is a player that I am extremely passionate about. This is Derek Henry, Tennessee Titans running back, and he's really the player that gave me the idea to do this whole Under the Microscope series. He was the RB52 for the first eight weeks of the season, but from week nine on, he was the RB5 and was the number one overall running back during the fantasy playoffs. I mean, the guy didn't pass 65 total yards in any game during the first 13 weeks of the season with just five touchdowns during that span. 
Then from weeks 14 to 17, he averaged 151.5 yards per game with seven touchdowns. He completely Jekyll and Hyde at us. I thought I was going to be able to shit on Dan for loving him in the offseason, and then he pulls the ultimate fourth quarter comeback. But rant aside, what changed for Derrick Henry in this latter part of the season? And he's just really the type of player that needs to get in the range of 20 carries per game to really wear down defenses and be effective. So from weeks 1 to 13, he averaged just 12 carries per game. He was not getting that type of opportunity. But from weeks 14 to 17, when he was the RB1, he averaged 21.75 carries per game. That's a 16-game pace of 348 carries, which would have led the NFL by 44 carries. So with anywhere near that type of workload, I think Derrick Henry could be a monster in 2019. I've been trying to tell you for quite a while that Derrick Henry is not the problem. It was the usage. <laughs> it was the usage. And we'll get into Jordan Howard as well. That's another guy not being used correctly. But we'll roll right into number 15, Chris Carson. 15 seems very fitting for Chris Carson in 2018. He was reliable just about every week, but not, but nothing over the top. He really just felt 15th best. He's, and I don't mean to downplay his season by any means. 71% of his games were double-digit performances, so he was very consistent, which is exactly what I look for in running backs. He also averaged the most yards after contact of all running backs with over 200 carries. All while holding off first-round pick Rashad Penny, whom everyone thought was going to take the job at some point this season. So an awesome season for Chris Carson. His aggressive running style is perfect for a team like the Seattle Seahawks who want to run the football and did so at a rate higher than the majority of teams in the NFL this season. Looking back, he was really the perfect RB2. I would take the season he had over Hunt's, Lindsey's, Cohen's, and Henry's any day. He was reliable during the regular season and came through in a big way during the playoffs, finishing as the RB4. It'll be interesting to see what the Seahawks have planned for their backfield. I know Penny is talented, and obviously they draft him high. And obviously they drafted him high, but I think this is Chris Carson's backfield as long as he's there. And just one thing I want to talk about with Chris Carson, because I know I was one of the people that thought Penny was going to be taking this job, but all preseason long, all of the beat writers out of Seattle were saying that at Seahawks camp, Chris Carson was clearly the best running back. And I brushed it off. Uh, you know, the Seahawks yeah. spent the first round pick on Penny. They're going to use him. So sometimes those reports, when it's coming from not just one beat reporter that's trying to get people to click on their article, but when it's coming from everybody that's going to camp and seeing the same thing, you've got to be paying attention to those reports. That's something that I'm going to be looking out for a little bit more closely going into 2019. Rolling right on to number 16, Nick Chubb. Your boy. My boy. Played all 16 games, but he only received 16 total carries from weeks 1 to 6. So we're going to exclude those weeks. But from week 7 on, Nick Chubb was the RB7 for fantasy. Seven of those nine games started were double-digit performances. And aside from the numbers, Nick Chubb just looked like the real deal. He's one of a handful of running backs in the NFL with the skill set to be able to break off 60, 80-yard runs. And that was reflected in his PFF grade, naming him the most elusive running back in the NFL of all running backs with 60 or more carries. If I had to find something to pick at, it would be his lack of involvement in the passing game. From week 7 on, he was on pace for 35 receptions, so that's not horrible. But we did see him kind of get game scripted out in week 17 against the Ravens. The Browns threw the ball a lot in that game, and Chubb finished with just 9 carries for 24 yards. But an impressive season nonetheless. He looks, no doubt, like the real deal, like I've been saying, since preseason last year. 
Yeah, regardless, Nick Chubb definitely looked like the real deal in 2018 as soon as he got the opportunity. But one player that left a lot more questions unanswered is our number 17 running back, and that is Miami Dolphins' Kenyon Drake. He was the 28th most consistent running back on the season and the RB27 during the fantasy playoffs. I do think that Drake is a talented player, but he was just a nightmare for fantasy. He exploded in games where you thought he wouldn't and busted in games that looked like good matchups. And it all came down to his usage. I'm not sure if Adam Gase had something against him or what the coaching staff knew that we didn't know, but Frank Gore was severely cutting into his workload all season despite looking like he clearly lost a step. They kept on giving him opportunities. Meanwhile, Drake had 120 carries for 535 yards and four touchdowns on the ground. That's not impressive, but he had 53 receptions for 477 yards and five touchdowns through the air. That's pretty good. If, you know, if he had the carry totals to go along with that, he would have had a nice season, I'm sure, but it just wasn't enough in terms of consistency and carry counts. His occasional good games resulted from one of his targets turning into a big play or a touchdown. And what stood out to me the most was his seven games with under 55 total yards. That's seven games with under 55 total yards. That completely crushed your team. And in those seven games I just mentioned, he scored just one touchdown during those games. So those performances absolutely crushed your team for fantasy purposes. Like I said, I do think Kenyon Drake is a good running back. I think he's explosive. He looked electric in the opportunities that he got. We'll see in 2019 if he is able to get a full workload. It's not something that I want to be relying on though. Yeah, definitely a frustrating player, no doubt, because he's talented and we finally thought he was going to be the workhorse. It didn't pan out that way. Watch the Dolphins throw another wrench into the system by drafting another running back this well, year. They still have Kalen yeah. Balazs, too, <laughs> and I'm sure they love Kalen Balazs more than they like Kenyon Drake. So, But moving on to number 18, Adrian Peterson. He finished the season as the 31st most consistent running back in the NFL. He was the RB11 through the first eight weeks, and then he was the RB25 through the final eight weeks of the regular season and was the RB35 in the playoffs. So the wheels definitely fell off down the stretch. But at 33 years old, playing in what wasn't a great offensive situation by any means, with the injuries to the offensive line, his starting and second string quarterbacks going down for the season, I think it's pretty impressive that Peterson finished with over 1,000 yards and 7 touchdowns on the ground. So I think you were fairly happy with him for where you were able to draft him. He had 3 20-plus point games during the first 8 weeks, so he got you off to a nice start. Peterson just had a lot working against him down the stretch. Like I just mentioned, the injuries were a ton on the offensive line to all their studs. And although that might sound pretty promising for Adrian Peterson going fo- going forward in 2019, obviously we have to remember with Geis coming back, we don't know how things are going to shake out in that Redskins backfield. We're going to have to wait for training camp and such for that. Yeah, if anything, I think it's pretty promising for the future outlooks of Darius Geis. I mean, Peterson at 33 years old, he's still doing it and that's impressive. But you get some fresh legs on that team, and I think it's going to be hard for him to keep up. And and let's not pretend like he is the same Adrian Peterson that he was. It's not like he's not going to be able to lose the job to a younger, fresher back is what my point was. Yeah, and he's definitely more impacted by the team around him. He needs, especially the offensive line, to create a little bit more opportunity than maybe he used to in Minnesota. Oh, absolutely. He used to run with guys on his back for yards. Yeah. (laughs) But now moving on to number 19, we have Falcons running back Tevin Coleman, and he was one of the more disappointing players from 2018. Just when you factor in what we 
all thought was going to happen after Devonta Freeman went down for the season. A lot of fantasy owners, myself included, I think, assumed Coleman would become a borderline RB1, but that just was not the case. He got just 167 carries on the year, and that was surprising to me. I thought the Falcons would give Coleman a ton of work with him, likely moving on to another team in free agency, but for whatever reason, the Falcons seemed like they just couldn't hand that full workload over to him. They gave a lot of work over to Ito Smith, and I just think this came at a very unfortunate time for Coleman, obviously having his one of his worst seasons of recent history right before he hits free agency but luckily we do have a bigger workload to look back on from Tevin Coleman from years past and we have seen him look great in his limited opportunity behind Devonta Freeman so it'll be interesting to see where he goes I do think he'll get a nice opportunity somewhere but one thing to mention for that backfield going forward into 2019 and I'm sure we're going to talk about this a ton as we approach new offense coordinator Dirk Cutter keep in mind he has had more passing attempts than any offense coordinator over the past three seasons with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Matt Ryan threw more in his time with Dirk Cutter than he ever has in his entire career, and he runs the ball less than Kyle Shanahan and Steve Sarkeesian, the two former offense coordinators of the Atlanta Falcons. So don't be surprised if that is a different, although familiar because he was there not too long ago, different look offense in 2019. Rolling right on to Jordan Howard, a player that I was really disappointed with just because, not because of Howard himself, but as I said with Derrick Henry, the usage just is not correct. You never really knew when you could trust him. He did have nine touchdowns on the ground, and during the first few weeks, he was actually involved in the passing game, but that ended fairly quickly. He was the RB27 during the first 13 weeks of the season, but he finished the year fairly strong as the RB15 during the fantasy playoffs, but you had probably already moved on from Jordan Howard at that point. And we spoke about it early with Tariq Cohen. It just didn't seem like Howard was a fit for what Matt Nagy wanted to do on the offense. Now, I understand that thought process because it's true. Matt Nagy does run a very sideline-to-sideline offense that's more advantageous for a running back like Tariq Cohen. But Jordan Howard is a real stud running back. It is a shame what they're doing to him. He's the same type of guy, if you give him that 20 carries a game, he can break down slowly a defensive line and linebacking core and by the end of the game he's running wild because for some reason running backs real workhorse running backs at the end of the game they get stronger they're not tired everybody else is and that's the type of player Jordan Howard is I'm really disappointed in the usage I hope in a few years they don't pick up his option and he'll be able to get out of Chicago and make a name for himself somewhere that they'll use him properly. Next up coming in is the RB21. We had Indianapolis Colts running back Marlon Mack and despite missing the majority of the first five games of the season and the majority of week 10, Marlon Mack was pretty impressive in 2018. 25% of his games were over 22 fantasy points. Again, that's a top five finish on average and he torched some strong defenses when not many people expected him to perform. Remember back in week 15 against Dallas where he went for 139 yards and two touchdowns but Mac really did impress me this season he really showcased his ability to make guys miss and when you put a player like that on a high-powered offense with a great quarterback and a great offensive line you can expect some big performances and that's exactly what we got I don't know where Mac will be getting drafted in 2019 but I could definitely see him being a value and up next it's not much to say about Lamar Miller obviously that offensive line was a disaster in 2018 but he did look good at some points throughout the season for fantasy however I don't know when you would have felt too good about starting him Miller was the RB 20 through the first eight weeks and the RB 31 through the last eight weeks 
And this is the story with Lamar Miller. For some reason, somehow, he's never an attractive pick, but he always ranges in that 10 to 25 range where he has value. He should be started pretty much every week on somebody's roster, but you just never really too confident in him. Hopefully, the Texans can really build up that offensive line. And honestly, it'd be advantageous for them to draft a running back, but as long as Lamar Miller is there and the current guys are competing with him, Alfred Blue and Dante Foreman, I will continue to believe that Lamar Miller maintains his role, although it's not too exciting. And now that we're getting to these later guys, we're going to skip around a little bit more here, but we're going to keep it rolling right into number 23, and that is Packers running back Aaron Jones. He had to deal with a suspension, injuries, and the Packers just not wanting to make him their lead back, despite clearly passing the eye test, at least in my opinion, as the most talented running back on the roster. But once Aaron Jones finally got the job, he was great finishing as the RB4 from weeks 9 to 14 before an injury limited him to just four carries in week 15 and kept him out of week 16. So again, he just didn't really get to finish the job for you but if you had him for that six game stretch you were pretty happy to say the least this is one of the guys we were both pretty high on coming into the year and I thought the suspension having him miss the first two games of the season I thought that was great for his value because people were going to forget about him and that's exactly what happened I have to go back and look at where Aaron Jones was drafted I know it was annoying that you had to hold on to him for a lot longer than you probably wanted to but if you did, if you weathered the storm, you were very happy with what you got out of him in the long run. And rolling right on to number 24, Austin Eckler. Now, we don't have much on Austin Eckler, but what we will say is that he's very efficient and he creates on his own. He's elusive. He makes people miss. And the reason why you get top 25 production from Austin Eckler is because he's good in his small complementary role to Melvin Gordon, but he thrives when Melvin Gordon misses time, which unfortunately is the one downside to Melvin Gordon we know how good he is he's talented and he's productive he's everything you want in a running back but he does tend to miss time whether it's just a portion of games or whether it's a string of games in a row he does tend to miss time throughout a season Austin Eckler steps in seamlessly to a very talented roster he's able to catch he's able to run like I said he's good in his complimentary role and he's good when he fills in that's what leads you to the top 25 production, although he's not ever first thought in your mind when you think about fantasy running backs. And now we're going to hop back a little bit to the RB28, and that was Sony Michelle. And it was a tough year for fantasy for Sony Michelle. He started in just eight games and dealt with injuries in both the beginning and middle of the year. However, he still managed with 900 yards and six touchdowns as a rookie. But I think what we saw from Michelle in the NFL playoffs is much more indicative of the type of player that he is. He averaged 112 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns per game during the playoffs. Not that we can expect that that'll continue every single week, but we can't ignore that type of upside either. My only knock against Michelle is his eight total receptions on the season. That includes the NFL playoffs. So just like James White or just like Tariq Cohen, but the inverse of that, when a player is so dependent on just one area of their game, especially on an offense like the Patriots, where they have no problem adjusting to the game script, there's going to be some weeks where he just disappoints. Sony Michel did grow on me as the senior season went on. He was a talented running back. I think he has the skill to set to catch the ball. And like you said, when you're reliant on one facet of the game, it makes you one-dimensional and it makes you predictable. So it makes it easier for defenses to play against you. That's not advantageous for Sony Michelle's production going forward. Although, being on the Patriots, I'm sure everything will change next year. He'll catch 
50, 60 passes. Yeah, and that's the thing. Even if he does have the skill set to catch passes, if that's not how the Patriots view him and they don't think that they need him to fill that role because they have a James White or a Rex Burkhead that can do that just fine, then that's where the problem comes in. It's not necessarily a knock against Michelle as much as just the situation that he's in. And that's the same with a lot of these players that we're talking about. Without a doubt. And now a couple of guys who finished outside the top 30 who kind of disappointed you based on where you drafted them. First up is Dalvin Cook. He was going as a borderline first-round pick in 2018. Dalvin Cook destroyed you if you drafted him. Of course, that's going to happen when a guy deals with injuries and plays just 11 games. But he was great when he was healthy. In his 11 games played, Cook ranked 13th in consistency and was the RB6 from Week 12 through the end of the season after the Vikings made their switch at offense coordinator. But just from what we saw from when he was healthy and on the field, I'm pretty excited for his outlook in 2019. He also had 40 reception in those 11 games, and he wasn't getting a full workload in all of those either. So that's just another thing to be optimistic about going forward. But also keep in mind that is two full seasons back-to-back where Delvin Cook missed and then struggled with injuries. If he cannot get healthy and stay healthy, Latavius Murray will continue to push him for touches and push him to stay relevant in that backfield, which will really hurt Dalvin Cook's production. Got to be on the field to score points. The best ability, availability. I like that. And that's the same thing can be said for our final running back that we're going to be talking about today. And this is another guy. He was a borderline first-round pick, but he finishes the RB40, and that is Jaguars running back Leonard Fournette. He really just left you high and dry due to his injuries. Fournette essentially missed the first eight weeks of the season. He played in weeks one and four, but totaled just 20 carries in those two games. But once he returned, he was the RB12 from weeks 10 to 16 and scored an average of 16 points per game against top 16 rushing defenses. So just like Dalvin Cook, he was rock solid when he was on the field. He just really wasn't there for you. And one interesting thing to note here is during those first eight weeks when Fournette was out of the lineup, TJ Yeldon was actually the RB8 for fantasy. So the Jaguars, I know a lot of that had to do with them not being able to rely on Blake Bortle throwing the ball, but the Jaguars are a team that I don't see much of that changing unless they maybe they get Nick Foles and things open up in the passing game a little bit, but I expect them to still be a team very heavily reliant on the run. So Fournette's going to be a tough one for me in 2019 because it's going to be really hard for me to draft him earlier than the late second round or early to mid third round. And you know, if he plays all 16 games, he'll be one of the craziest values in the drafts if you can get him there. But there's going to be that risk baked in with the pick that you're going to have to account for. Like you said that his issue really wasn't his opportunity of production, it was really his availability and the ability to stay healthy, which, you know, sometimes guys get that check, get that in check, you know, especially if the unfortunate thing is he played down the stretch. Maybe he should have took that season to get right so he could go forward not having these injuries, but then there's also pressure to be on the field as a player. So Yeah, I mean, and that was one of the knocks with Frank Gore earlier in his career, and now he's Mr. Durability. And then Keenan Allen for the short... I mean, I know he hasn't been healthy for the longest period of time, but it was always injury-prone this, injury-prone that, and, you know, lacerated kidneys and torn ACLs. And now look at him. He's one of the top wide receivers in the game. So one of the things I like to follow by is you're injury-prone until you're not, and there's a certain amount of risk that you can take in your fantasy teams and hopefully it pans out especially if you can grab a guy at a potential value like Leonard Fournette in potentially the third round I think that'd be great and that's really all we have for you guys today we appreciate you guys tuning in as always remember 
to check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FootballMDPod or hit our website at FootballMDPodcast.com where you can be expecting my second mock draft coming out. I'm going to wait until after the combine for that. The combine is this weekend. Enjoy that. We'll be giving you a ton of content based on the combine this weekend and I'll be zoning in on my player profiles and who I like most and where I like them to go because as the draft approaches, it's a little bit easier to get a feel on who fits where and wh- what teams are liking what prospects. Yeah, especially once free agency gets underway and some holes start getting filled on certain exactly. teams, you can really get a more realistic picture. But like Dan said, that's all we had for you guys today. I really hope this painted a more clear picture of the running back position from 2018. And make sure you're tuning in next week because we have wide receivers coming up. Thank you, guys. Until next time. Thanks, guys. Next time. <laughs>